This is the Intrepid Double Seven Podcast. Hello and welcome to the James Bond Complex. I'm the Intrepid Double Seven. Hope you're doing well. Today is May 28th, and on this day in 1908 was born Ian Lancaster Fleming, the author of um, Thrilling Cities, Diamond Smugglers, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and, oh gosh, what's the, James Bond. Of course, we all know who Ian Fleming is by name. We know that he's the author of James Bond. We know he was an eccentric person. Um, We know what he looks like. But where did he get everything that made him the author that he was? And that's when you have to kind of deep dive into the world of Ian Fleming. Fleming, the man who would be Bond. Well, that's a great start because that is a four-part miniseries done by the British Broadcasting Corporation back in 2014 starring Dominic Cooper, which does a decent job of explaining who and what Ian Fleming did pre-war, during the war, and a little bit post-war. But it doesn't really focus on exactly where he got all this experience and how he became who he is and how he made James Bond into what it was. So we have to kind of start pre-war. And I don't want to go too far back, but beginning with his secondary and maybe post-secondary education, he spent some time at Eton College, which is a famous private institution in England. He also went to Sandhurst, which was a military college, because he really had two intentions, or I should say his mother had really two intentions for him. Either he was going to be a military man, like his father and like his brother Peter, Or, if that failed, which it did, uh, he would join the Foreign Service, which he failed. Um, So what basically Ian Fleming did after these two major failures of his potential career is he took the third option of doing like another member of his family, his grandfather Robert, and he became a banker. So he became a very unsuccessful stockbroker for a short period of time before getting a job at Reuters, which then evidently helped him with the whole foreign service side of things. While working for Reuters, um, he went overseas and he worked uh, as a journalist, getting some exclusive interviews during a trial of some British engineers in Moscow, which kind of gave him a little bit of notoriety in the journalism world and helped build the foundation of what his career would be. He was a newspaper man for a long time. He was a journalist. He worked for for newspapers. He owned a news service for a period of time called the American News Alliance for for quite some time with a friend of his. Uh, So his roots in journalism and in writing start pre-World War II. During the war, he was recruited by Rear Admiral Godfrey, who was the head of the Admiralty at the time and also head of naval intelligence. What he needed was a right-hand man, someone to kind of take care of the day-to-day things and consult about uh, strategies and etc. And Ian Fleming had such a creative imagination that he would just blurt out all kinds of ideas for operations. 
And you may have heard some of them in historical context, Operation Goldeneye, Goldeneye, which he then later used as the name of his villa in Jamaica post-war. Um, there was Operation Mincemeat that started with uh, a memo that he wrote on a napkin, which is wrote, uh, referred to as the Trout Memo. And it was basically just a bunch of ideas that uh, Ian Fleming had jotted down of potential ways to trick the Germans. One of those being uh, acquiring a body and then using that body to uh, plant information on. That eventually became Operation Mincemeat based on that little tidbit of an idea. Another plan that he had that came to fruition or almost came to fruition was trying to acquire a, a downed ship and hide a crew inside to attack the Germans covertly. It was deemed as too complicated, but Ian Fleming never let go of those ideas and never let go of those plans. So much so is that his his over-imagination kind of caught up with him. At one point, the, uh, the head of the Admiralty, uh, Sir Godfrey, didn't really believe Fleming's intelligence information that the Germans had a one-man submarine until Fleming eventually was able to get his hands on one and had it delivered to Rear Admiral Godfrey at his home. Uh, when the Admiral came out and had a look at it, he says, well, this is obviously uh, some sort of prop or some sort of misconception. They haven't been using this. And then Fleming directed him to look down Periscope into the eye of a dead German boatman that was still inside. So Fleming's vivid imagination, his wild and crazy ideas would eventually become the basis of a lot of the books that he later wrote. The premise and the the card game in Casino Royale was based on a real experience that he had in Portugal. Not real in the sense that Ian Fleming cleaned out a bunch of Germans. Uh, the opposite, in fact. But he dreamed that he had won that card game and that he had cleaned out the Germans and he had gotten a victory over them. While the opposite was true, he, he lost badly at cards, but... In his mind, this was uh, a way to get back at the Germans, a form of malicious way of, of attacking them, of, of attacking their spirit. And it's stuff that trickled down into the James Bond novels. Obviously, that became the basis of uh, Casino Royale. He pulled other bits out of real-life people and real-life interactions that he had. Um, William Stevenson was the um, head of the British Security Coordination. He was the man called Intrepid. He had an office in Rockefeller Center. And across the tower next to his was the Japanese consulate. And Ian Fleming, on a visit to New York, was a guest of Intrepid, of course, because they had official business to do. And one of those official businesses, or one of those pieces of official business, was to go across the street or go across the way into the other office and steal the cipher codes so that they can help the Allies along with their plans. This became the basis of a little tidbit of a story uh, of how James Bond earned his double O number. So you see, Ian Fleming, through his experiences, whether they were directly his or uh, an exaggeration of his imagination or pulled from somewhere else, became the basis of what James Bond was in the novels and how we know him today. He, he pulled something else from Intrepid as well. Intrepid had the plan to use gold reserves in Guadeloupe without directly taking control of them, um, but taking control of their worth became the basis of an idea that he later used for, for Goldfinger. His trip to Quebec City in 1943 as part of the Quadrant Conference 
was maybe gave him some intel into the spy who loved me because the main character from there is a French Canadian from Quebec and just steps away from the Chateau Frontenac where the meetings were being held is the Ecole des Ursulines, which is the school in which Vivienne Michel, the antagonist of, or sorry, the protagonist of, of the spy who loved me went to school. So these are obvious little pieces of information that he picks up here and there. His love for underwater adventure and exploration is shown throughout the books, and it's based on his natural ability to be able to snorkel and dive and etc. He showed that when he visited Camp X and was placing limpet mines on boats out on Lake Ontario. He incorporates that directly into Live and Let Die. Uh, we see other scenes of underwater activity, and of course, Thunderball in Dr. No, in Octopussy, and in the Hildebrandt Rarity. These are all little tidbits of information. You have to be convinced as well that Quantum of Solace, probably that short story was written about someone he knew or a story that he heard through social circles. He was a known socialite as much as he was a snob. He was a known socialite. His whole being and his whole raison d'etre uh, for buying the home that he bought pre-war was to host the social club that he had created, Le Cercle Gastronomique et Jeux de Hazard, which basically translates to the Circle of Gastronomy and Games of Chance. So he had a social club where they would get together and eat these lavish meals, get drunk and play cards. He would host at Goldeneye often. Um, there's uh, John Pearson notes in his biography, and that's also where we pulled the the information about the, uh, about the submarine, um, that his... As stated Goldeneye, the food was not really that great. His cook was cooking, you know, Jamaican local delicacies and not oat gastronomy, as maybe his guests would have been used to in London. But for Fleming, he was in the moment. He was dépaysé, as we say in French. He was out of his element. This was not London. This was not the same social context as um, the city. This was Jamaica. So this is what we're eating. And this is what Fleming kind of pushed onto his guests. And he was kind of known for rubbing people the wrong way and not necessarily getting along with people. The namesake for Goldfinger almost was sued or almost sued Fleming over the use of his name in the novel. Uh, I mean, other blatant lawsuits uh, like uh, Thunderball and uh, Kevin McClory, it, it comes to, to, to mind with, you know, the disagreements that you could have had as, with Fleming as a person. Fleming was really trying hard in the 50s and the early 60s to get Bond sold for TV and for movies. Kevin McClory was one of those vehicles. Another one of those vehicles was creating The Man from Uncle or co-creating and writing some of the information for The Man from Uncle. He contributed greatly to that show and that idea because he absolutely wanted to have something on TV. And if James Bond wasn't going to make it, well, then he would make something else work. So this is the Ian Fleming that goes into James Bond, the books and the, the movies that we appreciate so much. When we say go back to Fleming, sometimes you have to go really back to Fleming. One of the things that I can suggest for you um, it, to, to learn more about Ian Fleming is get yourself one of the biographies. The one I would promote the most or the one that I would suggest the most would be the John Pearson biography of Ian Fleming. John Pearson also wrote the fictional James Bond authorized biography, which that's a pure act of fiction with some embellishments in there. Um, he also wrote 
the Fleming biography, and it's very close to Fleming's life because it was written just shortly after his death. I believe it's within two or three years of his death, uh, and Pearson knew him later in life. There is another biography out there by Andrew Lysett, and Andrew Lysett's biography, while good, uh, it's very factual. So if you want to know dates and names and places and where he was and who he was with at what time, the Andrew Lysett uh, biography is better for that, whereas Pearson's biography is very anecdotal and tells a very different story of his character. One of the other things you can watch, was, like I mentioned, the BBC documentary that they did, Fleming, The Man Who Would Become Bond. Um, that was a four-part miniseries produced in 2014. It is still available in some places, and it is a good, decent amalgamation of all these this information. It does go into a little bit more detail about his love interests with Anne O'Neill, a little bit less with Blanche Blackwell, but that I think we kind of see as, as being public knowledge. Blackwell, um, the family Blackwell, bought GoldenEye and has turned it into the wonderful estate that it is today. They've got a 007 rum out there, and that's you know directly related to the relationship that they have with the Bond family, but it kind of started with Ian Fleming having an intimate relationship with Blanche Blackwell. Um, Ian Fleming used all of these influences to create the world's greatest spy. And today, we celebrate his birthday. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Intrepid 007 podcast here on the James Bond Complex. Please follow us on our social media accounts at the James Bond Complex and at 007 Intrepid on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until then, thanks for listening.